Chapter 3, Part A of Greener Than You Think. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Greener Than You Think by Ward Moore. Chapter 3, Man Triumphant 1, Part A. The hearings of the committee to investigate dangerous vegetation went on for five days, and Mr. Lafassacy was increasingly delighted as the proceedings went down, properly edited and embellished to excite reader interest, in the columns of the Daily Intelligencer. He even unbent so far as to call me a fool without any adjectival modification, which was for him the height of geniality. I don't want to give the impression the committee stole the show, as the saying goes. The show, essentially and primarily, was still the grass itself. It grew while the honorable body inquired, and it grew while the honorable body, tired by its labors, slept. It increased during the speeches of Senator Jones, through the interjections of Judge Robinson, and, as Dr. Johnson added his wisdom to the deliberations, while the committee probed, listened, and digested, the grass finally pushed its way across Hollywood Boulevard, resisting frantic efforts by the National Guard, the fire and police departments, and a volunteer brigade of local merchants to stem its course. It defied alike sharpened steel, fire, chemicals, and explosives. Even the smallest runner could now be severed only with the greatest difficulty, for in its advance the weed had toughened. Some said because of its omnivorous diet, others its ability to absorb nitrogen from the air, and its rubbery quality caused it to yield to onslaught only to bound back, apparently uninjured, after each blow. One of the most disquieting aspects of the advance was its variability and unpredictability. To the west it had hardly gone five blocks from the Dinkman House, while southward it had crossed Santa Monica Boulevard and was nosing toward Melrose. Its growth had been measured and checked over and over again, but the figures were never constant. Some days it traveled a foot an hour. On others it leapt nearly a city block between sunrise and nightfall. It is simple to put down the grass-crossed Hollywood Boulevard, as simple as saying, Our troops advanced, or the man was hanged at dawn. But when I write these words less than a generation later, surrounded by rolling hills, gentle brooks, and vast lawns sedate and tame, I can close my eyes and see again the green glacier crawling down the side streets and over the low roofs of the shops to pour like a cascade upon the busy artery. Once more I can feel the crawling of my skin as I looked upon the methodical obliteration of men's work. I can see the tendrils splaying out over the sidewalks, choking the roadways, climbing walls, finding vulnerable chinks in masonry, bunching themselves inside apertures and bursting out, carrying with them fragments of their momentary prison as they pursued their ruthless course. Now the uproar and clamor of a disturbed public swelled to giant volume. All the disruption and distress going before had been news. This was disaster. All same, Glomans Chinese, all same, Parthenon, remarked Goots. And indeed, I have heard far less outcry over the destruction of historic landmarks than was raised when the grass obscured the celebrated footprints. 
Recall of the mayor was demanded, and councilmen's official limousines were frequently overturned. Meetings denounced the inaction of the authorities. A gigantic parade bearing placards calling for an end to procrastination marched past the city hall. Democrats blamed Republicans for inefficiency, and Republicans retorted that Miss Frances had done her research during a Democratic administration. Every means previously tried and found wanting was tried again, as though it were impossible for human minds to acknowledge defeat by an insensate plant. The axes, the scythes, weed burners, and reapers were brought out again, only to prove their inability to cope with the relentless flow of the grass. Robot tanks loaded with explosives disappeared, as had those containing the soldiers, and only the stifled sound of their explosion registered the fact that they had fulfilled their design, if not their purpose. It was difficult for the man on the street to understand how the weapons successful in Normandy and Tarawa could be balked by vegetation. Like the investigating committee's pursuit of the question of the crude oil's adulteration, they wanted to know if the tanks were first-line vehicles, or some surplus palmed off by the War Department. If the weed burners were properly accredited griminicides, or just a bunch of bums taken from the relief rolls. The necessary reverse of this picture was the jubilant hailing of each new instrument of attack, the brief but hysterical enthusiasm for each in turn as the ultimate savior. Because of my unique position, I witnessed the trial of them all. I saw tanks dragging rotary plows and others equipped with devices like electric fans, but with blades of hardened steel sharpened to razor keenness. The only thing this latter gadget did was to scatter more potential nuclei to the accommodating wind. I saw the flammenwerfer, the dreadful flamethrowers which had scorched the bodies of men like burnt toast in an instant, direct their concentrated fire upon the advancing runners. I smelled the sweetly sick smell of steaming sap, and saw the runners shrivel and curl back as they had done on other occasions, until nothing was presented to the flamethrowers except the tangled mass of interwoven stems, denuded of all foliage. Upon this involved wall, the fire had no effect. The stems did not wilt. The hard membranes did not collapse. The steely network did not retreat. It seemed a drawn battle in one small sector, yet in that very part where the grass paused on the ground, it rose higher into the air, like a poising tidal wave. Higher and higher, until its crest, unbalanced, toppled forward to engulf its tormentors. Then the unruffled advance resumed. Again some resource was interposed against it, Again it was checked for an instant, and again it overcame its adversary, careless of obstacles, impartially taking to itself gouty rooming houses and pimping French provincial seventeen master bedrooms, chateaus, hot dog stand and brown derby, corner grocery and pyramidal food mart, undeterred by anything in its path. When you say a clump of weed attacked a city, you utter an absurdity. I think everyone was aware of the fantastic discrepancy between statement of the event and the event itself. So innocent and ridiculous the grass looked as it made its first tentative thrust at the urban nerves. The green blade sloped forward, 
like some prettily arranged but unimaginative corsage upon the concrete bosom of the street. You could not believe those fragile-seeming strands would resist the impress of a careless boot, much less the entire arsenal of military and agricultural implements. It must have been this deceptive fragility which broke the spirit of so many people. From an item in the Intelligencer I recalled the existence of one of Mrs. Dinkman's neighbors who had rudely refused the opportunity to have his lawn treated with a metamorphizer. He had left an incoherent suicide note. Pigeons in the grass, alas! Too many pigeons, too much grass. Pigeons are doves. But Noah expressed a raven. Contradiction lies. Roses are red, violets are blue, the grass is green, and I am through. Two, 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 darling kitties. He then, in full view of the helpless weed fighters, marched on into the grass and was lost to sight. In the days following, so many self-destructions succeeded this one that the grass became known in the papers as the Green Horror. Perhaps a peculiar sidelight on human oddity was revealed in most of these suicides, choosing to immolate themselves not in the main body of the grass, but in one of the many smaller nuclei springing up in close proximity. It was my fortune to witness the confluence of two of these descendant bodies. They had come into being only a few blocks apart. Understandably, their true character was unrecognized until they were out of control and had enveloped the neighborhoods of their origin. They crept toward each other with a sort of incestuous attraction until mere yards separated them. They paused skittishly. The runners crawled forward speculatively. The green fronds began overlapping like clasping fingers. Then, with accelerating speed, came together much as a pack of cards in the hands of a deaf shuffler slides edge under edge to make a compact and indivisible whole. The line of division disappeared, the two became one, and where before there had been left a narrow path for men to tread, now only a serene line of vegetation outlined itself against the unblinking sky. End of chapter 3, part A